we're going to continue our study through the book of Genesis. Um, most of you have been here for the last several weeks, uh, just to catch you up. Um, we're still here in the story of Abraham. Back in Genesis chapter 12, we had the promise to Abraham. Uh, part of that promise um, was contingent upon Abraham leaving his family, his country, everything he knew uh, to go out to the promised land, uh, to the land of Canaan. Now, we see that God promised him that he was going to bless his seed, bless um, the nation that came from him. And we see that fulfilled through Isaac, but we know spiritually it's fulfilled through Jesus Christ, right? And we've talked about that over the last several weeks. So Isaac, the promised son, comes on the scene. He's birthed in Genesis chapter 21, right? And right after that, the next chapter, what does God ask Abraham to do? He asks him to sacrifice the promised son. And we talked about how this test of Abraham was to give us a picture of Jesus Christ, um, important to think about that and consider that because a, uh, Isaac is going to come back on the scene here in Genesis chapter 24. Uh, but if you remember last week, we talked about the tragedy and beauty of death because Sarah died and we went through Genesis chapter 23. So tonight we're going to be in Genesis chapter 24. This is a long chapter. There's 67 verses. We're going to go through the whole thing because it's one story couldn't find a good spot where I wanted to break it. So we're just going to, we're going to go through uh, the whole text, which means it might be a little more fast paced. Um, but this is a, a really, really cool story that we're going to dive into. And it really gives us a picture of um, Jesus and uh, his bride, the church. But before I get in to the text and the title, let us pray. Jesus, we come before you and we pray that you would enlighten the eyes of our understanding, God, that we would um, have spiritual eyes to, to see uh, what um, you want to speak to us through this word. Lord, we know that your word is living and powerful, God, and it pierces hearts. Um, and we ask that you would do that tonight, that you would speak to us, Lord. We want to hear from you tonight. Help us to, to walk away with, with something that we know is from you, um, that we would um, have clearer direction about how to become more like you, because that's what we know you desire for us, for your children. So bless this time. Jesus, we love you. In your name, amen. Okay, so we're going to see here uh, Abraham... Two chapters ago in chapter 22, like I said, he was called to sacrifice Isaac just before the knife came down. The angel of the Lord, which was Jesus Christ, it's a Christophany, um, stops him from doing that because Jesus was the Lamb of God. Jesus was the Lamb that God was going to provide. He was the fulfillment of this thing that was happening here in Genesis chapter 22. So that's the last time we saw Isaac. We don't see him in chapter 23. In fact, we don't even see him come down the mountain with Abraham. If you look at verse 19 of chapter 22, so Abraham returned to his young men and they rose and went together to Beersheba and Abraham dwelt in Beersheba. It, it doesn't even say that Isaac came down with him. Now, 
I personally believe that Isaac did come down with him, but there's a reason why the Holy Spirit inspired the author of Genesis. Um, likely it was Moses, but there's a lot of question about that. Um, anyways, that he didn't put Isaac's name in here because it's to give us a picture of Jesus Christ and him coming for his church. Okay, when he dies and he rises again, we don't see Jesus again until he comes back for when? For what? The rapture of the church, right? Okay, so now we're going to see here in Genesis chapter 24, Abraham is going to send his servant out to get a bride for the promised son or the son of promise, which brings me to the title of this teaching, uh, a bride for the son of promise, a bride for the son of promise. Okay, um, we know from Ephesians chapter five and other references, but we know that we're called the bride of Christ, okay? Important to understand as we dive into this text. This is a picture of Jesus and the church. Really, we're gonna see uh, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit in the church as we dive in and you understand a little deeper. It's pretty cool. Uh, Genesis chapter 24, verse one says, now Abraham was old, well advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. We're constantly reading about how Abraham was blessed, but I want us to remember this, uh, the beginning story of, of Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. Remember what God asked Abraham to do. He asked him to forsake everything. He asked him to leave his family, his friends, his land, everything he knew up to that point. He called him to forsake all and follow him. So he left everything that he had to follow the Lord, and in that, the Lord blessed them. It's Matthew chapter 6 verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. That's what Abraham's heart was. That's what his mind was. He was seeking the Lord, not for what God could do for him, but who God was and what he'd called him to do, forsook everything and in that he was blessed. See, reckless abandonment often leads to abundant blessing. And that's what we see here with Abraham and his story. Picking it up in verse two, it says, so Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house who ruled over all that he had, please put your hand under my thigh. It's a little weird, we'll talk about it. Um, this is believed to be Eliezer, okay? If you would flip with me real quick to Genesis chapter 15, verse two, this is uh, an important part to understand. Genesis chapter 15, uh, 15 verse 2 it says but Abram said Lord God what will you give me seeing I go childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus okay Eliezer is the head honcho he's the head servant and that's what Abraham said Eliezer's getting everything I have if I don't have a son so we know that Eliezer is the chief servant now look what Abraham says said to the oldest servant of his house who ruled over all that he had, okay? Very likely this is the same guy, Eliezer. Important to know because Eliezer, his name means my God is help or helper, okay? It's really interesting because we're gonna see here through this text, Abraham's a picture of the father. Eliezer, helper, is a picture of the Holy Spirit, Isaac is a picture of the promised son, right? And the bride, Rebecca, is a picture of the church, 
Okay? So follow me as we understand this. Um, He says, put your hand under my thigh. This was an ancient custom to solidify a serious oath, right? It'd be kind of like shaking hands today, but like even more serious. You know, sometimes people shake hands today and it doesn't really mean what it used to mean. Maybe we should go back to the putting our hands under each other's thighs, getting a little vulnerable, right? I don't know. Maybe we could try it. You guys try it first and let me know how it works. Genesis chapter 24, verse 3, it says, And I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell, but you shall go to my country and to my family and take a wife for my son Isaac. See, Abraham wanted to keep the lineage pure. So he says, Don't, you can't allow Isaac to marry a a woman of the Canaanites. Go back to my family, go back to Ur Ur of the Chaldeans and find one of my family members, one of his cousins, it's kind of weird, but it's important, um, to, to marry so that we keep not just the lineage pure, but the faith pure. Okay, which brings me to my first of only three points tonight. Uh, Keep it in the family. Keep it in the family. I'm not talking about inbreeding, okay? I'm talking about the family of faith, all right? God makes that clear later when he gives us the law. That's not okay. I'm talking about keeping it in the family of faith. See, Abraham wanted Isaac to marry someone of the same lineage, okay? And we're called to marry people of the same lineage faith, right? That share our same worldviews, that share a Christian worldview. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 14, and most of you guys are married. Some of you aren't. So this is more for those that aren't, but it still applies to um, married people as well and just understanding. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 14 says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? Okay, so we see the comparison that Paul's using. He's saying, hey, don't don't get yoked up with an unbeliever. Don't marry. Don't enter into a serious relationship with an unbeliever because what what do idols have in common with Christ? And he's trying to tell us something that when we enter into relationship with unbelievers, it's likely going to lead to idolatry or idolatrous lifestyles. This is exactly what happened to the wisest man that ever walked the earth apart from Christ, right? To Solomon, this is what happened to him. If you look at 1 Kings chapter 11, man, Solomon, he had it made, blessed by the Lord wisdom. He had the honor of building the temple, but look what happens here. He was told not to marry outside of an Israelite woman. He was supposed to marry someone that shared the same lineage, that shared the same worldview, and look at what he does. Leaning on his own understanding, leaning on his own wisdom, 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 1, but King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, 
Sidonians and Hittites from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, you shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. Solomon clung to their to these in love, and he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. For Solomon went after the Ashtoreth, went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not fully follow the Lord as did his father David. Okay, it's really clear right there. The wisest man that ever walked the earth apart from Christ got yoked up with unbelievers, yoked up with foreign women, okay? And part of that was Solomon was likely um, trying to protect Israel because he's like, if I marry Pharaoh's daughter, if I marry all these princesses and all these queens from the surrounding nations, I'm gonna protect Israel. So he probably had good intentions in doing it, but instead of protecting Israel from the outside nations, he brought the idols of the outside nations into Israel and it corrupted the nation. See, if Solomon in all his wisdom couldn't withstand the influence of unbelievers and idolatry in his life, what makes us think that we can? It's 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33. It says, um, bad company corrupts good morals, in other words. When we surround ourselves too much with unbelievers when we're constantly surrounded by people that are in the world engaging in worldly activities bad company corrupts good morals now don't take that out of context because we're also called though we're not of the world but to be in the world and reach out to unbelievers but there's a balance there right we're called to reach out and seek and save the lost but at the same time we got to be careful about how much time we're spending with unbelievers in our life. If Solomon couldn't resist in all his wisdom, uh, we should not let pride get the best of us and convince us that we can too. And those of you that are single, very few in here, but some, we got a few. I know who you are. (laughs) In all sincerity though, we can't let pride get the best of us and say, hey, I'm going to convince that person to accept Jesus. Like, this person is great. They got all these good character qualities and they're beautiful and handsome and yada, yada, yada. They're, they love all the same things that I love. But if they don't love Jesus, stay away. Step back. Because in all likelihood, they're going to end up converting you than you converting them. That's what we see in Scripture. Pick it up in Genesis chapter 24, verse 5 to 7. It says, And the servant said to him, Perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I take your son back to the land from which you came? But Abraham said to him, Beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family, and who spoke to me and swore to me, saying, To your descendants, I give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. See, Abraham didn't want Isaac going back to his father's land. Okay, I don't know exactly why. Bible doesn't tell us exactly why. Maybe he was worried that Isaac would stay there and get sucked up into their customs. He's like, no, the promised son needs to stay in the promised land for this time period. 
but it's also very interesting. Remember, this is a picture of after Jesus was crucified and rose again, right? We talked about that in Genesis chapter 22. It's interesting that Rebecca, the bride, needs to be brought into the promised land, and the next time we see Jesus, we'll be brought into the promised land. At the rapture, we'll meet Christ in the air. We'll be brought to heaven. Um, so I think that's also part of the reason why uh, this happened the way that it did. In verse 8, it says, And if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be released from his oath. Only do not take my son back there. So he reiterates it again, but listen to what he's saying. Hey, servant, remember a servant's a picture of what in this story? The Holy Spirit, right? He says, servant, I want you to go find this bride for the promised son. If she resists you, if she's not willing to go with you, then that's okay. What do we see here? The Holy Spirit doesn't force himself on people right? He doesn't force himself on people. If someone's not willing to listen to the conviction and allow their heart to be convicted, right? He's a, he's a gentleman. He doesn't force people to come to the groom. His operation is to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment to point to Jesus as the Savior, but man still has free will and can, I believe personally, I know there's some that other have other views, I believe can resist the servant coming to woo us to accept the groom, okay? So he says, if she's not willing to come, if the bride's not willing to come, the oath is, um, is clear, all right, picking it up in verse nine, it says, so the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took 10 of his master's camels and departed for all this, his master's goods were in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. And he made his camels kneel down outside the city by a well of water at evening time, the time when women go out to draw water. Then he said, O Lord God, my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, here I stand by the well of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink. And she says, drink, and I will also give your camels a drink. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this, I will know that you have shown kindness to your master. Okay, so the servant, he prays to God and he says, hey, I don't know who it's going to be. He's probably got a little fear. You know, he's a little scared. Okay, I don't know who it's going to be. I don't know how this is all going to pan out. So Lord basically saying, give me a sign. <laughs> Confirm this thing, okay? The woman that I asked to give me a drink when she offers me not only a drink, but to uh, give, get water for my camels as well. If there's a woman and that happens, then I'll know it's the right woman. So it's good that this servant is praying to God um, to confirm that this is the woman for Isaac, the promised son. It's good that he's praying to the Lord, but we have to be very careful of this, okay? We have to be very careful of praying to God that he would uh, confirm things through circumstances, Okay, um, 
God will absolutely use our circumstances to confirm things, right? And he'll lead us through certain things that happen in our life, but we have to make sure that priority is looking to the word and looking to be led by the word over our circumstances, all right? The word has to be first. The word is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. The word promises it's going to lead us. It's going to direct us, all right? Circumstances are secondary, okay? It has to be the word first. When we focus too much on seeking God's direction through our circumstances um, instead of his word, then we can get in trouble, Okay, what do I mean? If I'm just going based on circumstances, say God called me to something and okay, I believed God called me to be the pastor of this church, okay? And things started getting difficult. And it was like, okay, well, the path is now difficult. It's a little rough. My circumstances, they're kind of hard. So maybe God's not in this. Maybe he's not in it. It's a little hard. Or maybe God's making it hard because he's trying to produce the character in me to answer the calling that he's placed on me. You see, so often people will say things like this. I just don't have peace about this. You ever say this? I'm going to pick on you. I just don't have peace about this thing, right? Okay. Now that could be true. The fruit of the Spirit's peace. Yeah. But let's play that out. Is it really that, okay, I don't have peace about this thing because God's not in it? Or I don't have peace about this thing because it's hard and it's difficult? Okay? Because just because you don't have peace about it doesn't necessarily mean that it's not God's will. Jonah didn't really have peace about going to Nineveh. Okay? But that was God's will for his life. He called him to Nineveh. He tried to avoid it. He didn't have peace about going there. God, I don't have peace. I don't care. You're going to Nineveh. You're going to preach there. So, so often I think that people misuse that, right? Um, now, a fruit of the Spirit is peace, and the Lord will speak to our hearts sometimes, but our heart's also wicked and deceitful above all things and can manipulate us and convince us to take the easy road because it's easy and not take the narrow road because it's narrow and it's difficult and it's the road that God's called us on. So we've got to just be very careful about seeking the Lord through our circumstances. We've got to get back to the word because if he confirmed it in the word and our circumstances are hard, it doesn't matter. I'm going back to the word and what he told me. It doesn't matter what I perceive these circumstances to be. You with me? Okay. Picking it up in Genesis chapter 24, verse 15, we'll see that God does speak to uh, the servant through these circumstances, and he answers them exactly according to his prayer. I'm just saying we got to be careful of it. And it happened before he had finished speaking that behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her pitcher on her shoulder. Excuse me. So look at this. Before he had finished speaking, okay, Rebekah comes out with a pitcher on her shoulder. See, God sometimes answers our prayers even before we're done praying. Isn't that so amazing? He's not even done praying and God's answering his prayers. Why? Well, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 8, Matthew chapter 6, verse 8, if you don't flip there in time, it's okay. I will just read it for you. Matthew chapter 6, verse 8 says, Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. He knows what we need before we even ask Him. 
Now, that means, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't ask him, okay? We should still ask him, even though he knows what we need, but it's so amazing that God answers this prayer before he's even, he's like, I already know what you need. I already know exactly what you need, and I'm going to answer this prayer before you even finish praying it. Now, Rebecca, she comes out right off the bat with a pitcher on her shoulder to draw water. See, Rebecca, she wasn't going to the well to find a husband. She was going to the well to serve. So often, for you single people out there, it's like a group of them, um, so often we can get so caught up with, uh, I'm seeking a spouse or I want to be in relationship. Like, doesn't God say that, um, you know, to Adam that, that there's something missing there and he provides Eve. Like, why won't God provide for me a, a, a wife or a husband? I really want this thing. See, Rebecca, and we see this time and time again in scripture, Rebecca wasn't going to the well seeking a husband. She was going to the well to simply serve. And it's so often, so awesome how when we're just focused on serving the Lord, so focused on serving the body, that God will often provide something. Same thing with Adam, right? He wasn't looking for a wife. He didn't even know what a woman was. They didn't even exist. He was just serving God in the garden. God saw a need and he provided for him. Um, for me personally, this is how it happened to me. And I'm sure some of you can relate um, when God brought me and Elizabeth together, neither one of us were seeking for a significant other. We were just simply serving the Lord. We didn't have time to think about relationship. We were just focused on the Lord, serving the Lord. It wasn't like, I'm serving the Lord, so we'll provide a spouse for me. I was just serving the Lord because I love the Lord. And in that, the Lord provided. That's exactly what happens here with Rebecca. See, it's better to wait on the Lord and allow him to bring you the right one than jump the gun and try to pick the right one for yourself and recognize when it's too late that they were the wrong one and not the right one because you try to make it happen in your flesh and didn't wait on the Lord. But you guys, most of you are married, so you already know that. Genesis chapter 24, verse 16 now the young woman was very beautiful to behold, a virgin. No man had known her. And she went down to the well, filled her pitcher and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, please let me drink a little water from your pitcher. So she, she said, drink my Lord. Then she quickly let her pitcher down to her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. Then she quickly emptied her pitcher into the trough, ran back to the well to draw water and drew for all his camels. So the servant, he's seeking a woman of character. Okay? He's seeking a woman that will... Um, specifically, not just give him water, but take care of the camels as well. And she does exactly what he prayed for, exactly what he hoped for, exactly what he was seeking, and that's who Rebecca is. She's a woman of exceptional character. Which brings me to my second point. The bride's character should exceed her beauty. The bride's character should exceed her beauty. 
See, Rebecca was a diligent and selfless servant. Now, I want you to consider this. A camel, okay, I looked this thing up. Camels can drink, one camel can drink up to 30 gallons of water in 15 minutes. One, there's 10 here, okay? So imagine that in 15 minutes. And she says she's just gonna keep giving them water until they're good. At least 30 gallons of water likely per camel. That's a laborious activity. That's not like a, that's nothing that I, I, honestly, I, I wouldn't really, uh, I don't think that I'd really volunteer for that job. Like, oh yeah, 10 camels, okay, 300 gallons of water. Yeah, I'll be right there. It's like, that's a serious uh, amount of effort and energy, right? But we see this characteristic of Rebecca. She's willing to serve this man that she doesn't even know. That's what he was looking for. He's looking for a woman of character. But we see here in the text, she was also very beautiful to behold, but he wasn't looking for the beauty. He was looking for the character and he got blessed with the beauty, okay? In Proverbs 31, verse 30, Proverbs 31, verse 30, some of you ladies could say this by heart, I'm sure. Men, you should be able to memorize this one by heart too. Proverbs 31, verse 30, it says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. Okay? Yes, you should be physically attracted to your significant other, but recognize beauty's passing. It's fading away. Character, it lasts. It's going to continue. Not only, see, not only does character last and continue, it gets better and better with age right? Beauty, it fades. Character gets better and better with age. See, the servant seeking a woman of character, God blessed him with not just a woman of character, but a beautiful woman of character. See, my wife, ridiculously beautiful, right? But that's not the main reason I chose her, I watched how she served. That was the thing that attracted. I actually, I started falling for her on a mission trip watching her serve. And I was like, man, this girl is just like so focused and diligent and she outworks most of the guys. Literally, she does. I'm like, dude, I kind of like her. Yeah. And before I know it, you know, a year and a half later, we were, maybe two years later, we were married. But There's something to that seeking a woman of character that God says, hey, you know, you got the right heart. You're seeking the right thing. And not only am I going to bless you with a woman of character, I just might happen to make her beautiful like he does here uh, for me and for Isaac. Genesis chapter 24, verse 21, it says, And the man wandering at her remained silent so as to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. See, The man still doesn't know for sure whether or not God answered this prayer. He's not sure if God's made his journey prosperous, meaning he doesn't know, yeah, she's probably the one, but I'm not completely confident, and he's waiting for more confirmation, right? But God, we know the end of the story, God answers our prayers before we even realize they've been answered, He's already answered the prayer. He just doesn't realize that the prayer's been answered yet. He's still guessing. Has God made the journey prosperous or not? I prayed this prayer and it seems like it's happening, but I'm not sure. And God's like, dude, I've already made it happen. Just trust me, the prayer's being answered. 
Genesis chapter 24, verse 22 says, So it was when the camels had finished drinking that the man took a golden nose ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her wrist weighing 10 shekels of gold and said, Whose daughter are you? Tell me, please, is there room in your father's house for us to lodge? So she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, Milcah's son, whom she bore to Nahor. Moreover, she said to him, we have both straw and feed and enough and room to lodge. Okay, before I go to the next thing, look what he does. The servant gives the bride, Rebecca, what? He gives her a nose ring and um, bracelets, right? He's giving her gifts, okay? The Holy Spirit gives the bride gifts, Holy Spirit, he gives us gifts for the work of the ministry, for the edification of both God and the body of Christ. Um, if you want to look at some of the scriptures that we see spiritual gifts, you got second, or sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, um, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Romans 12, Ephesians 4 gives you a list of some of the gifts and understanding how to operate uh, in the gifts. Okay, so the servant gives the bride gifts. The Holy Spirit gives the bride gifts. Spiritual gifts. Okay, so look what happens. So she gets blessed with these uh, material things, though, in the text, um, this gold. Then the man bowed down his head and worshiped the Lord. This is the servant. And he said, verse 27, Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his mercy and his truth toward my master. As for me being on my way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. And in, in response to his prayers being answered, okay, he's still, uh, I don't know if the Lord's completely blessed this thing, but he's pretty confident now that, okay, God's blessing um, my journey. He's answering my prayers. In response to this, he does the only reasonable thing. He bows down and he worships the Lord. And he recognizes, wow, look at that second part of verse 27. The Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. He recognized that the Lord had been leading him all this time. See, he was so unsure when he got to the well, he didn't know what to do. He just throws up this prayer and he sees this prayer start to get answered. And he's like, wow, God's been leading me all this time. You ever have that happen in your life where you look back and you're like, man, I wasn't sure what was happening. I wasn't sure what God was doing. But now that I'm here, okay, I might've gone through the wilderness or I've got, I might've gone through these trials or I might've gone through this hardship or whatever it was. But now that I'm here and I see God's will being unfolded in my life, wow, he's been with me the whole time. He's been leading me this entire time and I didn't even realize it. That's what's happening to the servant. He's recognizing, wow, God's been with me the entire time. But we have to remember, Abraham said that um, the angel of the Lord is going to go before you. Abraham already told him, the Lord is going to lead you the whole way. He just didn't um, completely maybe believe it or understand it. Picking it up in verse 28, says, so the young woman ran and told her mother's household these things. Now Rebecca and a brother whose name was Laban, and Laban ran out to the man by the well. So it, wa so it came to pass when he saw the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrist and when he heard the words of his sister Rebekah saying, thus the man spoke to me that he went to the man and there he stood by the camels at the well. And he said, come in, blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I've prepared the house and a place for the camels. Oh, Laban, 
Okay, we know what happens to Laban later in the story. Um, those of you that know. Um, so right off the bat, the first encounter that we have with Laban, yeah, we see this sense of servanthood, right? He runs out to meet the man, but what happens after he sees the nose ring and the bracelets? Look, if you look back um, at verse 30, he runs out to meet the man, but then when he saw the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrist, and he heard the words from his sister, look at verse 31, come in, O blessed of the Lord, why do you stand outside, for I prepared the house and a place for the camels. Laban sees the money, he sees the material things, and he gets all excited. His hospitality goes to the next level. Okay, he runs out to meet him, but now he's like, dude, I got the place prepared. I'm going to do whatever you need because we see this character in Laban later down the road with Jacob and him deceiving the deceiver and trying to make a little extra off of Laban and giving him Leah and the whole deal. Uh, we'll get into it um, in probably months from now, but it'll happen. Um, Anyways, so Laban, this is important to um, catch on to, he gets excited about the gifts that were given to the bride. He loves the gifts from the servant. We can do this too. We can get so focused on, so in love with the gifts from the Holy Spirit that we neglect the purpose of the gift or the gift giver. We can be distracted by the gifts. We can look at the gifts. It's like, okay, I come to the Lord because I know I need salvation. And then we start seeing these gifts that he gives us. And maybe it's um, administration or, or evangelism or hospitality or servanthood or whatever it is. And you're like, oh, I like this gift that he gave me. This is great. But what can happen is we can get so focused and distracted by the gift that we neglect or neglect the gift giver or forget the purpose of the gift because the gift, it really isn't for us. It is for us, but it's for us to be used to edify the body. It's not to be used for us to edify ourselves. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 12. The Holy Spirit gives us gifts to edify the church, to edify the bride of Christ. Picking it up in Genesis chapter 24, verse 32, it says, then the man came to the house and he unloaded the camels and provided straw and feed for the camels and water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Food was set before him to eat, but he said, I will not eat until I have told you about my errand. And he said, speak on. I love this about this guy. So he gets so excited about what God did, okay? He's on a spiritual mission and he's not going to feed his body. He's not gonna feed his flesh until he tells him what happened, okay? You ever get so excited about something that God did or speaking about God's word that you're not even thinking about food? You're like, I just gotta tell you this thing right now. God did this amazing thing. I got this God story and I can't think about food. I don't even have an appetite because I just wanna speak to you, right? You guys ever have that? Hopefully, I hope, I hope so. Um, for me, it happens oftentimes when uh, maybe I meet someone for a meal and it's a spiritual conversation. It's like, I'm the, fat, I'm the fastest eater ever. It's kind of gross sometimes. But when it comes to an encounter with someone where I'm sitting there having a spiritual conversation and I'm talking to them about spiritual things or the word, I get so focused on speaking about what God's doing in his word that I slow down my eating. I'm not even 
thinking about my food. And this is where this guy's at. He's like, no, I got to tell you what God is doing before I even entertain eating. This is a character that quality that we see in Jesus, right? In John chapter 4, verse 34, his disciples, he had sent them into the village in Samaria to go get food, but he stays back, meets another woman at the well. There's some connections there. We're not going to go into it because we don't have time. But he meets another woman at the well, and he says what when the disciples come back? They say, aren't you hungry, Lord? And he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. It's like, I'm feeding off doing ministry. I'm feeding off investing in the word, right? The word of God is food, yeah? The word of God is synonymous in the Bible. It's, a simple, it's food, we feed off of it. But sometimes we don't consider that speaking the word of God is food too. He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. And he was talking about investing the word of God into someone else and it satisfied him in a way that food couldn't. Okay, picking it up in verse 35. So in verse 35 to 48, he just retells this story, okay? Um, he just retells the story. I'll read it real quick. Um, verse 35, the Lord has blessed my master greatly and he has become great and he has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male and female servants and camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old and to him he has given all that he has. Okay, listen to what he's saying here. Abraham has given to Isaac what? All that he has. Okay, this is a picture of the father giving the son all that he has. Okay, it's John chapter three, verse 35. Uh, if you wanna take notes on that. Now my master made me swear, saying, you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell, but you shall go to my father's house and to my family and take a wife for my son. And I said to my father, perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said to me, the Lord before whom I walk will send his angel with you and prosper your way, and you shall take a wife for my son from my family and from my father's house. You will be clear from his oath when you arrive among my family, for if they will not give her to you, then you will be released from my oath. And this day I came to the well and said, O Lord my God, O Lord God of my master Abraham, if you will now prosper the way in which I go, behold, I stand by the well of water, and it shall come to pass that when the virgin comes out to draw water, and I say to her, please give me a little water from your pitcher to drink, and she says to me, drink, and I will draw for your camels also, let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. But before I had finished speaking in my heart, which is interesting, he's saying he's speaking in his heart, right? And it gives us... Uh, we, got, hey, we, can, we can pray in our hearts. We can pray to the Lord in our hearts. This wasn't an audible uh, prayer, it seems. There was Rebecca coming out with her pitcher on her shoulder and she went down to the well and drew water. And I said to her, please let me drink. And she made haste and let her pitcher down from her shoulder and said, drink and I will give your camels drink a drink also. So I drank and she gave the camels a drink also. Then I asked her and said, whose daughter are you? And she said, the daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him, so I put the nose ring on her nose and the bracelets on her wrist. And I bowed my hand and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord God of my master Abraham, who had led me in the way of truth to take the daughter of my master's brother for his son. Now, if you will deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me, and if not, tell me that I may return to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, the thing comes from the Lord. We cannot speak to you either bad or good. When they hear this story, they recognize God's all over it. 
God's in this thing. We can't speak either good or bad. We really can't have an opinion because if God's in this thing, what are we going to say, right? It's so awesome when we have God stories and we can tell uh, someone about something that God confirmed in our life. What can they really say, you know? So um, there was a time, um, I might've told you part of the story before, probably some of it. Um, there was a time in a few years back, Pastor Chetta came to me and he said, hey, uh, I want you to do this. He's like, I've been praying and seeking the Lord and he keeps putting this uh, thing on my heart about David and his mighty men. And I feel like God's put three guys in my life and you're one of the guys. And I think he wants me to do this like extra discipleship thing with you and, and two other guys. And he's like, but I want you to pray about it because you have to, you have, to have that confirmation too. Part of this is going to be, uh, we're going to go to Liberia this summer. Um, I'm going to help you with some of the funds, but you're going to have to raise funds as well. Okay. So right off the bat, I'm like, dude, I want to do it. It sounds exciting. Okay. Um, but I was like, I'll pray about it. So the next day I was praying about it and the Lord was speaking to me um, through actually a Oswald Chambers devotion, my utmost first highest. It's a great devotion. Um, but essentially it was uh, along the lines of God didn't call me to a, a simple Christian sit in a pew on Sundays and like go to church when you get a chance and like this kind of lukewarm Christianity, Christianity, he was calling me to live out a radical faith. And he confirmed that through, through the devotion. So I'm like, okay, this is along those lines. Maybe this is something. Uh, and then Pastor Chet, he, he sent me a scripture that morning and it was Luke chapter 14, verse 25 to 33, where Jesus talks about counting the cost of discipleship, Right. So I read the verse and I'm like, I know what he's saying. He talks about having an army of 10,000. The king's not going to go against the army unless the army of 20,000, unless he knows he has 10,000 quality guys that will wreck house on the 20,000. If you got 10 guys that got your back and are sold out warriors, you don't got to worry about the 20,000. Okay. So there was something that the Lord spoke me through that. Now, there's also these finances. So that same night, Pastor Chet's like, hey, come over to the house. I was studying over there. And he's like, hey, anything happened so far? And as I'm telling him, and he's like, what about, as I'm telling him what happened, he's like, what about Liberia too? And I'm like, it's just a financial thing. Literally after these words come out of my mouth, I get a text from my grandmother who's a, a saint, has a direct line to the Lord. She texts me. She's like, I don't know. Literally right after I said this, I don't know, God's put it on my heart to help you out financially. Do you need money for something right now? I'm like, are you serious? I'm like, bro, PC, dude, look at this text right now. And he just starts busting out laughing. The very next day, we travel across um, the state to Naples um, to do like this outreach thing. And um, basically it was in a church, it was a banquet and we're putting all the chairs back at the end of the night after we served at this thing and they had one of those big King James Bibles, you know those really big ones? Wait, do we have one? Eh, it's like big, way bigger, it's like this big, like the size of the pulpit and uh, I overheard one of the servants ask the pastor, hey, what do you want me to flip the King James Bible to? And he goes, dude, just throw up a prayer and flip to wherever. Okay, so he throws over a pair and flips to wherever in the back of my mind. I'm like, I'm wondering what he flipped to. So after I'm done, I walk over and I look down and immediately, Luke chapter 14, verse 25 to 33. My eyes just set on it. I'm like, this is the same thing. Dude. That piece he just sent me yesterday and then my grandma and then all these things. What the, I, I'm supposed to go. Like there's no option now. I got to do this thing, right? The Lord was all over it. 
So when I tell you a story about how God confirmed that thing in my life, what are you going to say? Either good or bad. God obviously told you to do it. What are we going to say about it, right? That's what's happening here. They're like, dude, God's obviously in this. We can't say our opinion because God has obviously told you what needs to happen. Pick it up in Genesis chapter 24, verse 51. It says, Here's Rebecca before you. Take her and go and let her be your master's son's wife as the Lord has spoken. And it came to pass when Abraham's servant heard their words that he worshiped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. I love this. He keeps worshiping the Lord. Verse 53. Then the servant brought out jewelry of silver, jewelry of gold and clothing, and gave them to Rebecca. He also gave precious things to her brother and to her mother, okay, so this is like a, a dowry, all right? He's like solidifying um, the fact that, hey, Isaac's gonna be able to provide for Rebecca. You don't have to worry about her, okay? So he's blessing them. This is like almost a, a payment for her. This is a dowry. Uh, there's a lot to that, but we don't have um, time. Verse 54 says, and he and the men who were with him ate and drank and stayed all night. Then they arose in the morning and he said, send me away to my master. Okay, so the servant's like, hey, send me back to Abraham. And then it says, but her brother, oh, Laban. And her mother said, let the young women stay with us a few days, at least 10. After that, she may go. And he said to them, do not hinder me since the Lord has prospered my way. Prospered my way. Send me away so that I may go to my master, they don't want to let Rebecca go yet. Even though God's confirmed it, even though God's made it clear, they know what can we say, whether good or bad. Obviously, God's in this thing. They still don't want to let her go. Just let us keep her for 10 more days. You ever do this when God tells you to let go of something? Yeah, God, I'll let go of it like in two weeks. Okay, I know you've called me to cut this thing out of my life or let go of this individual or whatever it may be, but just give me 10 more days with this comfortable sin and, and, and then I'll let it go. Or whatever it may be, they're still trying to hold on to Rebecca. And I don't know specifically why. Maybe it's because she's such a servant and they want her around the house to get a little more work out of her. But nevertheless, they're trying to hold on to something that God clearly said to let go of. He's calling them to let her go. Verse 57, So they said, We will call the young woman and ask her personally. Then they called Rebecca and said to her, Will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. Wow, Rebecca. She was willing to leave everything. She was willing to forsake family, friends, whatever she had there. Maybe part of it was because she was tired of Laban and his deceitfulness. I don't know. But she's like, hey, I'm willing. I'll, I'll go, okay? Um, brings me to third and final point. The bride is willing to forsake all and walk by faith. The bride is willing to forsake all and walk by faith. We're the bride, right? We're called to be willing to forsake all and follow Jesus by faith. That's what he tells us to do in Luke chapter 14, verse 33. He says, Basically, if you're not willing to forsake all, you're not worthy to be my disciple. She leaves her family. She leaves everything she knows, much like Abraham did in Genesis chapter 12, to follow what God had for her. And she accepts the bridegroom by faith without ever seeing him. 
ladies, would you ever do this? Like, hey, you know, dad sent out a servant to find this dude and we, we got him. He's for you. Are, you. are you ready to marry him? Probably freak out a little bit, right? It's like, come on, an arranged marriage? Some cultures, this is very normal, okay? In this culture, it was as well. But that's a huge step of faith. I'm going to marry this person that I've never even seen, never had a conversation with. But we do a very similar thing when we accept the bridegroom into our lives, right? When we accept Jesus, we haven't seen him. We have faith that he's there. We have faith in who he is. And he actually says it like this to Thomas in John chapter 21, verse 29. John chapter 21, verse 29. Sorry, 20, verse 29, my bad. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's us. Thomas, you saw and believed and you needed to see. But there's going to be others that aren't going to have the privilege to see. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet they still believe. It's a picture of us. We accept the bridegroom by faith without ever seeing him tangibly. And picking it up, verse 59, just about done. So they went away. They, so, so they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant, and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you become the mother of thousands, of ten thousands, and may your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them. Then Rebekah and her maids arose, and they rode on the camels and followed the man. So the servant took Rebekah and departed. Now Isaac came from the way of Bear uh, Leroy, for he dwelt in the south, and Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening. And he lifted his eyes and looked, and there the camels were coming. Then Rebecca, Rebecca lifted her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from her camel. For she had said to the servant, Who is this man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took a veil and covered herself. So the first time we see Isaac on the scene, he's mentioned in the beginning of the chapter, but the first time we see him on the scene, he's doing what? Beholding his bride, right? And his bride is beholding him. That's the next time. We'll see Jesus when we're beholding him. He's beholding us at the rapture, okay? And she took a veil and covered herself. The veil, it signified chastity, chastity uh, modesty, and submission. This was like an act of honor. Um, she's not like embarrassed about how she looks, okay? And finally, verse 66, and the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent and he took Rebekah and she became his wife and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. So in this story, we see such a beautiful picture of Christ in the church, of what Jesus is looking for in the church. Just as Rebecca was chosen for her servanthood, she was chosen for her willingness, she was chosen for her character, she was chosen for her faith. That's what Jesus is looking for in his bride. That's what he's looking for in us. He wants a bride of character. He wants a bride of willingness. He wants a bride of faith. 
He doesn't expect us to be perfect all the time. He calls us to be perfect, to become perfect, but he knows we're not perfect. But he's just looking for these things, right? This is what he desires from us. So let's purpose to be the bride that he's looking for, a bride of character, a bride of willingness, a bride of servanthood, a bride of faith. This is a bride that will make the bridegroom very proud. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for uh, how clear you make it in your word, God, what you desire from us, what you're looking for in us, Lord. And um, I just pray, God, that, that we would be a bride, that this bride, this specific church, would be a church that, that you look upon and you're proud of. Lord, that um, we would be just that, exactly what you're looking for, Lord. If there's any of those areas that fall, that we fall short in, Lord, I help you, I hope that you would give us the humility to correct those things. God, make us better, make us more like you. We love you in your name, amen.